I came to the church uh, when Bob was thinking about retirement, but he wouldn't tell anybody when. Just said he's going to retire. And they called me here as associate pastor, and um, two years later, Bob retired. But we had a wonderful experience together. He was, as noted in the uh, video, a very gracious and inviting man, and he invited me. And the one thing that he wanted to make sure that all of his staff knew about was how to lock and unlock the church. So he had this big roll of keys, as before we had master keys, he had this big roll of keys, and he says, okay, I said, Bob, I don't need to know how to do that. I'm not going to be locking the church up. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, coming down and opening it up for people. He says, oh, no, no, you need to know, you need to know. So he took, I don't know, an hour or two and walked me to every single door and showed me which key to use. So I would know how to unlock the, the, the church and how to lock it back up. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, <clears throat> when he retired, we had a little ceremony here, and Dave Carpenter was associate, and I was associate, and <clears throat> we got his big ring of keys and had him try to pass it to us, and we refused. We wouldn't take them. He was leaving, but we weren't taking the keys because we didn't be want to be responsible. We had janitors that could do that. Thank you very much. So... Um, <clears throat> There's a famous rhyme that I'm sure you've heard. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a sixpence in your shoe. The first written reference to this rhyme was in 1871 during the Victorian era. And the rhyme signifies the simultaneous hope for continuity, continuity from single life to married life, and a fresh beginning. And it refers to all the things that a bride should be wearing or have on her body at the wedding ceremony that would ensure she had a successful marriage. But this is all superstition. But there may be a bit of truth in it. It reflects the truth Jesus gave to his first century followers found in Matthew 13:52. But let me say, when you say something old, something new, it's talking about treasures. And I think that's why Dave invited me, because he needed something old. <laughs> but I hope I bring a, a new word to you. So, <clears throat> this rhyme is based on superstition, but I think it has some wisdom for us. And the wisdom is found in one little verse of one sentence out of Matthew chapter 13. It's verse 52. So listen to Jesus' words. Then he said to them, Therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's another reason why Dave asked me, because I work cheap. <laughs> this verse has wisdom for you on your 55th anniversary of the chartering of WPC as a church in San Fernando Presbytery. And before we consider that one sentence, I want us to consider the, the context that the parable is set in. That way it will help us understand the one sentence parable. The larger context is the entire chapter 13 of Matthew. Now we didn't read it. I'm not going to read it because it would take too long. But this afternoon when you go home, I want you to read it instead of watching football. 
Alright? Is that a deal? Uh, Jesus is teaching a crowd of people about the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew's term. You can use kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably uh, because they mean the same thing. But he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and he's using parables, which are stories that create pictures in the mind to get across Jesus' point. And between verses 2 and 51, there are seven parables Jesus uses to de- describe the kingdom of heaven. Now, as I said, these uh, pic- parables are word pictures of the kingdom of heaven. They're like a sketch that an artist makes with charcoal on a canvas before he or she paints the picture. We don't see the whole picture, but we can see, if we look at that, a sketch of what the picture is going to be about. We don't see the kingdom in completion. We see it only in glimpses, in outline, or in sketches. But what Jesus is telling the people is the kingdom of God has come in me. He has come as God in human flesh, as the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Which, by the way, isn't completed. It's not consummated. It is, but not yet. Now, I want to make it clear that the kingdom of heaven isn't about a a realm. It isn't a territory. It's not about geography. It is the reign of God. One line from my favorite hymn, This is My Father's World, sums up this idea for me. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Even in the frightening, perilous times with wars in Europe and Israel, with Iranian proxy terrorists firing rockets at our bases and our ships in the Middle East, we can sing, Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. That's what the kingdom of God is. It is the rule of God on this earth. But it's not complete. It's not final. It's just starting. When you go home and you read Matthew 13, let it be a primer to you on the kingdom of God. Now let's turn to Jesus' mysterious, inscrutable one-sentence Uh, parable. It's a parable about teacher of the law. Jesus' illustration is of a scribe or a scholar of the Old Testament who finds old and new treasures. Now the reason I spent time on the larger context is that the context Jesus tells the parable in is this in context of telling parables about the kingdom of God gives us a hint that what Jesus is saying is about the kingdom of God. That's the subject matter of this entire chapter. So it it informs our understanding of the parable. Jesus said, therefore, every teacher of the law who had been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, if Jesus were speaking only about Old Testament scribes or teachers, the parable wouldn't have any meaning for us in the 21st century. But it does have meaning in this century. We aren't Old Testament scribes, we're not scholars, we're not rabbis. Most of us are lay people. And lay people who have learned something about the kingdom of God through worship, through Sunday school, Bible study, personal study, through devotion. And so we can interpret this parable to mean all who are students or apprentices of Scripture. 
So we who trust in God are like a homeowner who goes into his or her attic or basement, but we don't have basements, so we need to change that to garage, goes into his or her garage and brings out old and new treasures. You remember the comedian Gallagher? All right, some of you do. Lived in in Agora Hills. I think he has passed away now. But he did a lot of jokes using word plays. And one that's always stuck with me is a joke. He says, so why do we call it a parkway? I mean, sorry. Why do we call it a driveway when we park in it? And why do we call it a... um, What's, what's the word? I just forgot the word. Um, go to this garage park. Oh, why do we call it a parkway when we drive on it? So why do we call it a garage when we store old treasures in it? I don't know. So have you gone through your old tre- uh, treasures recently? If you, know, if you have, you know what happens. You go in, you start looking at them, and you go, Oh, my God. Why did we buy this? Toss it. And then someone says, oh, this is from my grandmother. Isn't it beautiful? I'd like to display it in the house. It hasn't been in the house for 58 years, but I want to put it in the house. Or we say, we have no use for these things. We'll take them to Salvation Army or Goodwill. Or you repurpose in some way, and some you just simply throw away. So if you've done that, You know, also you say, well, you know, the kids might like this. All right, you know the answer. The kids say an emphatic, no, we don't want that. So uh, what do you do? You throw some out, you keep some, but you haven't been left with just empty space because now you buy new treasures to fill the space. The teacher Jesus refers to would have been immersed in the law and the prophets. That's all he had, what we call the Old Testament. And this would be the very old treasures that point to the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus is talking about looking with these parables, looking for the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven to come, he's really pointing to himself. He's saying... You're looking for the Messiah. And every Jew would be longing and hoping that the Messiah would come in their lifetime. And they would be looking and waiting and wanting. But the fulfillment of these treasures, hopes, is Jesus himself, the new treasure. The person of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven are the new treasures. A treasure, by the way, of infinite worth. Jesus has two little parables here in the seven parables of this chapter about the great worth of of a a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great price and both people go and spend all they have, their entire uh, livelihood in order to get those treasures for themselves. And he's saying that's how precious the kingdom is. But let me illustrate the kingdom of God with a parable I borrowed from Earl Palmer. Earl Palmer was one of the finest Bible teachers and preachers that I know and have heard. But imagine our faith or the kingdom of God is like a bicycle wheel. At the hub, the very center of the core is Jesus Christ. And then you have spokes 
All those spokes are the ministries and programs of the church taking the message of Jesus to the rim and on the rim is the tire. So they're taking the message of Jesus Christ through these programs connected to the rim where the tire is. Now wait for it. Wait. Where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, you can groan. That's all right. So that's that's kind of what the kingdom of God is like. But what happens if you remove the hub? Falls apart. There's no wheel. Or what if some of the spokes get broken or loosened? The bike begins to wobble. Take too many out, and it's gone. Jesus Christ is the hub that holds the entire faith together. And if you remove him, the hub from the wheel, it all falls apart. As you enter the second half of a century, I would encourage you as individuals and as a church to examine and evaluate the spokes and determine whether or not they are firmly and clearly connected to the hub which is Jesus Christ. If they are, remove them. And look for new treasures to replace them. Now, there's another way to interpret the parable, and it's this. I take it to mean that we appreciate and we celebrate the past. It's a treasure. But we don't live in the past. To remember and understand the past is essential. I hope that all of us here are learning from our foibles. So the past is important. And we not only remember it, we celebrate it. Because it's great things and you have a lot to celebrate here from your past. But you don't live there. You live now in the present. For 55 years, you've experienced God's faithfulness, even at times when you weren't certain that God was even present. Now, to put a fine point on this parable, let's go back to the larger passage. Did you notice? Of course you didn't, because you didn't read the passage. That's for today, this afternoon, instead of football. But if you had read it, you would notice that the entire passage, Matthew 13, 1 through 58, that when you read it, you'll find that there's two audiences that Jesus is in front of. So let's look at those two audiences. The first audience is the people of Jesus' adopted hometown. Jesus' ministry began, his, his calling out or proclaiming the kingdom of God began in the region of the Sea of Galilee. That's on the northern shore and there's a town there called Capernaum on the northwestern shore of, uh, of Israel, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And he adopted that as his hometown, which was a Roman town, by the way. And there was a large crowd was, was there straining to hear Jesus talk, and they were pressing against him. So Jesus got into a boat, put out a little ways from the shore, and continued to preach about the kingdom of heaven. After teaching about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus asks, 
Have you understood all these things? The, pri- the audience would be primarily Jewish. It would be a Jewish town. But remember, it was a Roman town, so there would be Roman officials there as well. And there would be other Gentiles like Greek-speaking people. And so Jesus asked to this mixed crowd of Jew and Gentiles, do you understand all these things? And their answer was yes. An amazing answer given the circumstances. Now let's compare it with the second audience. The second audience is the people of Jesus' original hometown, which you know is Nazareth. After Jesus taught and healed in his adopted hometown of Capernaum, he and his newly called disciples walked up a very steep hill, 20 miles to Nazareth. And there he did what he always did. He went into the synagogue and began teaching. And the people there responded to him with wonder. And they asked, where did Jesus get this wisdom, the wisdom of his teaching, and where did he get the power to heal people? And then they begin to say, well, he, he's one of us. Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his brothers here and his sisters all here? This is, is Jesus. We know this person. All legitimate questions. Fair to answer. But notice their questioning... turns a little more restrictive. And they say, they took offense at him, the scripture says. This can be translated with a much stronger tone. They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. The result of the audience's anger was that he couldn't do any miracles in Nazareth because of their disbelief. And Jesus uses a phrase at the end of this little story that has become a part of our lexicon. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. This side of the cross and the resurrection, we find the response of the hometown folk incredulous. But remember, the ancient Near East had a very rigid class socioeconomic structure. The class you were born in is the class that you remained in the rest of your life. There was no changing, there was no movement up and down the socioeconomic ladder. If you were a peasant, you remained a peasant, and about 85 of all the people were peasants. Once a peasant, always a peasant. There were no Abraham Lincolns who went from splitting rails to becoming one of the greatest presidents of the United States of America. And the audience is wondering, who did this Jesus think he is? He's one of us. He isn't better than us. He comes in giving us all this wisdom and healing people. No. He's just one of us. The people of Nazareth were captured in a rigid structure that they knew they couldn't escape nor could Jesus, they thought. So I hope you're not like, the, like Jesus' hometown folks who in effect were saying, there's no future for us. 
We are stuck here where we are. Life goes on as it always has. Or I don't believe God can or will or is doing something new in our midst. It just doesn't happen. One of the important lessons in the seven parables is the kingdom of God, His rule, comes in unexpected and surprising ways. It works like leaven in a loaf that quietly, silently causes that loaf to grow, to expand. It grows like a small seed, mustard seed, that grows into a large bush. It will grow among believers and non-believers who are living parallel to each other. It has great worth, as I mentioned, the two parables tell us. Now, you may not imagine how the rule of God will come anew to WPC, but your part is to believe that God has a future future for you and for the church. To believe that God is bringing the kingdom of God through Westminster to the rest of the world. That's what you need to emphasize. Do you remember when Jesus' disciple Philip began to follow Jesus? He was so thrilled that he told his friend Nathaniel, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathaniel was skeptical and said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Reflecting the mindset of the people of Nazareth. And Philip said, come and see. That's all. A simple invitation. Come and see. I hope that you'll be Philip's and say, come and see what Jesus is doing in the lives of the people that this church touches. So who will you be? The audience in Nazareth who wanted and expected life to remain as always been? And so rejected Jesus and his mission. Or you'll be like his audience beside the Sea of Galilee, that when he asked the question, do you understand all these things, they said, yes. I hope you'll find ways to live out the kingdom of heaven that may be a few old treasures as well as new. Because God has given you a future. But you don't know what it looks like. So now you trust him. And put your faith at the center of that wheel. So it moves forward in his strength and wisdom. Amen. And let us pray. Loving God, we turn our hearts to you. In thanksgiving that you have called us to this place, help us to see the old treasures and keep those that lift up your name and then find new treasures that define a new way of being the church. So, Lord, we're thankful that you're with us here in this day. And we give you thanks for your word. And we pray this in Christ our Lord's name. Amen.